episode 27 of DevTalk, I speak to Frank Kruger about developing cross-platform apps and websites using UI. Welcome to another episode of DevTalk. My name is Kerry Lothrop, and today's episode is with Frank Kruger. Frank is an independent app developer based in Seattle, Washington, and you might know him from apps such as Calca, iCircuit, Continuous, really crazy stuff he's doing, and I'm really honored to have him on the, on the show tonight. Hi. Hi, Carrie. Thanks for having me. I've been I've been looking forward to talking to you for a while. We always talk on Twitter, so this is exciting to get to actually have a conversation. Yeah, you are a community member who is very visible. Uh, I, not just Twitter. It's it's just um, whenever something comes up with here's a crazy new idea nobody ever thought of. It's usually your name that's behind that. And I find that amazing. Uh, um, I'm going to take that as a compliment. Thank you very much. Uh, that's, that's how it was intended. I'm joking. Um, I, I once had someone uh, say, Frank, you think outside of the box. I'm like, I try to think outside of the box. Um, but the truth is, I just like to give back to the community and develop libraries. The fact that I'm doing weird things is just because I'm into weird things. <laughs> it's not much more to it than that. I'm into robotics. I'm into AI. I'm into programming languages. So it's fun to play around and show people different things they haven't seen before. So your day job is writing apps and actually making money from the app store. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, with luck and crossing your fingers. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I don't do client work. I've been lucky enough that um, I can just write an app and sell it. It took me a few years to get to the point where I was successful enough to be able to do that continuously. But nowadays I've been able to do it. And I thank my lucky stars. It's a pretty good life. Um, but yeah, it's also a little bit stressful <laughs> making sure that you always have some kind of interesting new product for people to buy. It is uh, really fascinating to see uh, how that works out for you because it doesn't seem to work out for, for a lot of people, is my impression. No, the, the truth is um, there's very few of us that are able to make this work. And I'm not kidding when I say luck. I would love to say that I have all these skills and the skills are what enable it or I'm a very hard worker and all that. But the truth is I picked a few good app ideas and did some decent implementations and was able to get through it. But it is, it's a tricky life to get into if you just say, I want to be an independent app developer. There's certainly easier and more money to be made if you're taking client work and doing contracts and things like that. But the freedom it gives you is kind of worth the gray hair. Well, if you're doing contract work, you're kind of limited to like your hourly rate. And if you manage to land that like super hit app, then I guess it's not limited to what your income can be. Yeah. Excellent point. Excellent point. Yeah. There's no cap. That's kind of, that's the excitement of it. That's the gambling aspect. That's the dopamine yeah. hit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but it also means you can spend six months on an app and it makes $20. Uh, you got to take sure, both yeah. sides of that coin. Scary. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, after 10 years of doing this, I wish, and people are always asking me advice on, should I write this app? Or what do you think of this app idea? Mm -hmm. I'd like to think that I understand the market and what are good ideas. But the truth is, none of us really know. Fashions change, economies change, you know, things change. And it's hard to always guess what people are going to want. In the very beginning, I would just 
write every kind of app you could think of, release it, and see which ones people are interested in. Now I try to take a little Mm -hmm. more systematic approach. And apart from writing and selling apps, you also do like lots of side projects. (laughs) Some of these seem to be like really hobby. You're building some some robot for yourself or some some IoT thing. And some of them are like libraries for the community. Yeah. And uh, I think the first one I encountered was SQLite.net or Dashnet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that was my very first open source library. And that, that was a mm-hmm. funny one. This is pre-GitHub and all that. So uh, Xamarin had just come out and it had funny limitations. There were a lot of libraries that didn't work for it and people wanted access to a database library. I had just come mm-hmm. off of writing a million ORMs. I was a ASP.NET web developer. So I was <laughs> living and breathing ORMs at that point in my life. Pre-MVC. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, yeah. what were we using? I guess that was web forms. Yeah. Web forms, right. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, you just gave me shivers. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just sent out an email saying, um, here's a library. This will give you access to databases. Good luck with that. And it never occurred to me how many people would find that useful. <laughs> and it's, in some ways, I wrote off of that success for quite a few years. <laughs> and it was, in the beginning, it was like just a file that was seemed to be like passed around from project to project. Yeah, for, well, it, email. We were literally emailing it around. That's how primitive those days were. Okay. <laughs> and it's now a NuGet package that anyone can use. And it, you actually get the newest version if you use it. Yeah, uh, it took us a while. Oh, if you find the right fork. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, because the project was so old, it didn't. I didn't j- get onto the GitHub bandwagon very quickly. I didn't get into the NuGet thing. This is all pre all that, and so those things to me were just fluffy little extras. I, I kind of missed the boat on how important they were. To be honest, um, mm-hmm. I'm like, whatever. It's a file. Copy it over to your project. It'll work fine. Uh, yeah, I just, I hadn't used languages where package managers were so integral to development. So it took me a while to get into that packaging lifestyle. But now that I'm there, I release everything under NuGet. It's just so much better. And one of the libraries that was maybe, how long was it ago? Like one, two years ago, I was really intrigued by is your library called UI. Ah, yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? We yeah, um, it goes a, a long way back. Um, I think we started where I was getting a little bit frustrated with cross-platform UIs. I think that the mm-hmm. best solution in the .NET world at the time was ASP.NET, if you want a cr- truly cross-platform UI. And let me give a little more context here. I was doing IoT stuff on a Raspberry Pi, so it wasn't even running like Xamarin or anything. This is old-school mono. And I was also writing a lot of scripts, command line scripts. And those, um, you know, take some input, feed it some command line arguments and all that and spit it out. I was getting frustrated with that world. Number one, I was getting frustrated with ASP.NET because I found programming in it to be kind of old fashioned and just not the kind of programming I wanted to do. I came from a VB world, you know, the future, how programming should be. <laughs> and this felt yeah. backwards <laughs> doing ASP.NET. And then on the, so I wanted to simplify web development. And then at the same time, I wanted to make sure it could run on devices that weren't traditionally getting user interfaces. 
And then the last part was, I was so tired of writing scripts without user interfaces. Back when I was a VB developer, no matter how trivial the app, even if it was just a text box and a button, I would at least make a GUI that was a text box and a button and maybe some help text. I was frustrated with Mm -hmm. myself that I wasn't building UIs anymore. So those were the 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 reasons I felt the need to build a new user interface library. And that became Wii. And it's... It seems very simplistic if you get started with it. This is the the VB attempt at which was like VB was it was so easy to to make a user interface. You just drag the button there and then it's working. And this this was the idea. Yes, exactly. I wanted the API surface to be equivalent, not not word for word, but conceptually, semantically the same as WinForms, basically. Okay. Or the DOM of the web. If you are writing pure JavaScript and just touching the DOM, that's specifically the API level I was trying to hit, DOM level. So if you're comfortable, you understand how the DOM, the web DOM works, you're 100% comfortable writing a Wii program, which oftentimes is as simple as saying new button, new text box, put those in a div, throw some CSS on them, all that you can do in code. You can do CSS and code, you can create objects, you can manipulate the DOM, all in a very simple events and methods and objects kind of way. So we're mixing desktop applications and web applications. It's What is it now? Is it like <laughs> desktop? Is it web? No, it's it's. I don't even draw that distinction in my head. My distinction is so much simpler. Um, who's generating the UI? Who's rendering the UI? I don't get wrapped up in boxes. <laughs> I said I like to get out of boxes. So the easiest way to do that is not acknowledge their existence in the first place. <laughs> so mm-hmm. what's a web app versus a real app uh, or <laughs> versus a native app? Ooh, gave, gave away my answer there a little bit by calling it a real app, but it's it's basically the trade-offs that the programmer decided to make. Um, when you decide to write a cross-platform web app, you're saying, I value my time kind of more than my user's time, as in the mm-hmm. development time matters more to me than anything else. Okay, yeah. Whereas people who choose to write native apps are saying, I'm going to take a sacrifice in time, but it's going to be worth it because I'm going to I'm going to give you a better user interface. I'm not going to require that you run Chrome or a very specific piece of software. I'm going to write to the OS level level and let the OS take care of all that garbage. That's a nice way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. So, but we was, um, we was me. I wanted the simplest UI I could. So I wanted to be able to take something that was essentially a script, a C-sharp script, and with as few lines as possible, put a UI on top of that. And ideally have that be a cross-platform UI, have it work on Linux, Mac, Windows, yeah. Okay. That's it. And <laughs> just make sure that it's a cross-platform UI with uh, yeah. the most minimum infrastructure requirements. So it has zero NuGet dependencies. Uh, it doesn't require IIS, even though it integrates just fine with IIS. It uses the built-in web server and WebSocket technology and .NET standard. So anything that can run .NET standard can run this user interface library, which was definitely the goal. I wanted it running on everything. We were talking about web forms before. That that was the idea behind web forms, also, right? To to be able to use what you learned for Win Forms and use that for the web. But but here it is actually exactly the same code. Yeah, um, that was definitely the goal of web forms. Um, I think where web forms fell down is they had, in Joel Spolsky's terminology, too leaky of an abstraction. They mm-hmm. wanted 
they wanted to say it's as easy as programming win forms or, you know, just new up a button, add it here, and it just magically works. But when you started digging into it, you saw that it was generating a mess of view state, and it was really easy to get it out of sync, and it had weird uh, client requirements and things like that. It was a very complicated model to achieve what they were trying to achieve, but the goal was definitely that, simplicity, a native development feeling experience, but with a web deployment and massive execution like that. When you say view state, I remember that. That that was that thing, <laughs> that, that cookie that gets passed around, or not even cookie, maybe like a, f a hidden form field that gets passed from one view to the other that has the entire state of your application. Because yeah. WinForms was like stateful, and then the web shouldn't have a state, so they just passed around the state all the time, right? Yeah, you nailed it. That was the um, impedance mismatch, as we usually call it. Um, yeah, uh, HTTP is stateless, and native development is the most stateful thing we have in computer science. It's all yeah. state in UI development. Yeah, so it's a real, it's hard to make those two worlds match. And so mm -hmm. that team should be 100% applauded, but they were, they wrote web forms before JavaScript had really matured. And Web oh. 2.0 had become its full, had, you know, Ajax and, uh, boy, I'm just slipping my mind, whatever, you know, web calls from JavaScript. Web forms predated. Web, web sockets, right? And not even web sockets. I was just, I just wanted yeah. an Ajax, a simple JSON call, you mm -hmm. know. But yeah, we'll, we'll get to web sockets, um, definitely, because that's a key part of how we works. Yeah. In fact, I'd, I'd like to take a step back and say, Wii's design is one of the things I'm most proud of in my life. I think it's kind of the culmination of a lot of ideas that I was having. And the biggest one was how do I synchronize data, just generally speaking, data between two machines. When you're doing uh, mobile development, you're constantly talking to a server and establishing some kind of synchronicity of data between you. Maybe you pull down data, present to the user, they edit it, and you push data up. It's a very primitive way of synchronizing data. But fundamentally, you're always trying to synchronize data with a server. Mm -hmm. And I had tried to solve that general problem so many times. The fact, but the problem is when you try to do a general solution, it doesn't fit everyone's needs and it's, it does this well, it does that poorly. So synchronization engines are hard, but it occurred to me one day, although synchronization engines are hard, if all it's doing is synchronizing a user interface, this is actually a much simpler problem, especially because I just limited the, the domain from an infinite domain to a very small domain, relatively. Okay. And so I, yeah, and so I was able to take a synchronization engine that I'd written for a whole different project for synchronizing data with a server. And I used that synchronization engine to synchronize user interfaces. And that became the transport. That became the magic that makes we work. And that's why it's able to render UIs very easy, easily. That's why it's able to interface with the DOM very easily, because all it's doing is synchronizing its view of the DOM with the actual DOM. And so it's just a data synchronization thing. And so there is a simplicity and a purity to that engine that it just I'm still very proud of myself for. <laughs> If I look at the the code, I don't want to completely read code here, um, but it, it, your your simple example is start a main method, create a button locally in that main method, add to that button a click method, and then you say UI.publish, and you 
pass in a relative URL relative to the web server. Yeah. And then that button. And that that's it. <laughs> it, it just fascinates me that that this is how you write a user interface. I took inspiration from the URI concept where universal resource uh, indicator, locator, whatever, who cares? <laughs> um, the idea mm -hmm. being that that URL is the resource is a user interface. And so how do I associate a user interface with a URL? Well, I ask you to call this publish thing, pass it a URL, pass it a bit of user interface or a function that can create user interface. Either one works. And I will render, I will serve that user interface at that URL. I like, I love conceptually simple stuff. And for me, it's that. It's you created this user interface. Mm -hmm. Now you want to serve it at a certain URL. I love that simplicity. The fun fallout of that is if you do it that way, everyone who touches that URL will be given the same user interface. So, and, and by same, I mean, if they click a button, that button will be clicked on everyone's thing. If they start typing in a text box, everyone will see them typing in a text box. So Wii's architecture is collaborative by default. If you want to write a collaborative app, you'd have to do zero work in Wii. Just present the same UI to the same people. That's mm -hmm. it. That's your only objective. Once you do that, the architecture takes care of the rest. And that was an explicit design goal also. So when I was working on that synchronization engine, it wasn't just synchronization between two points. It was synchronization between a mesh. I was doing mesh synchronization. And now I just extended, instead of being a proper mesh, I have a client server uh, simplified mesh. And it just falls out. So you can build collaborative UIs trivially in Wii. So that click method I mentioned, if somebody clicks that, then it's also clicked for all other users that are on that website at that moment. Right. And that's what happens if you publish an actual UI object to a URL. If, on the other mm -hmm. hand, you registered a function that creates a UI to that URL, then everyone will be given a new instance of that UI. So, so that's kind of the trick between turning on and off the collaborative system. If you give them the same UI, it's it's treated as the same UI. Give them different UIs, different UIs. Simple as that. Yeah, I, I was watching this progress as you first introduced it. And um, there you had how I understood it was you you have this, this app or the, the app code is actually running on your server and the user interface is uh, then running in the browser. Or but it's not a not a full not like the full app app running in your browser it's just the the user interface to what is actually running on the server and uh, then you did this move and you basically um, how i understood it the part that was running on the server you allowed that to be moved onto the client so into the browser in this case using WebAssembly. is that right yep you, you got it perfectly there um, I, I definitely started out using web sockets with all the logic of the app running on the server. Mm -hmm. And then I think of the web browser in this case as kind of a dumb terminal back in the old days where you would use a black and white terminal and log into a server. And so you weren't running any logic. You were just rendering whatever, you know, TTY session, SSH session these days um, that was coming over. Well, that was how the web started, right? We had yeah. <laughs> the logic on the server, and the the browser just had a dumb representation of whatever yep. the server sent it. 
which made the synchronization protocol very simple because all I had to do over WebSockets was just make sure that the, the DOM on the server matched the DOM in code. And mm-hmm. it's hard to do that perfectly efficiently, but it's super easy to do that inefficiently. <laughs> so I have an efficient path that can do diffing. You know, you're never sending over the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, or if it detects that the world has ended, it doesn't know what to do. It can just ask for a whole new fresh set of the data and synchronize itself. So that part's easy. The problem is um, not everyone wants to run a server, um, especially I come from the native app world where I'm trying to sell apps to people and have them installed on their machines specifically so I don't have to maintain a server and pay for it and all that kind of stuff. And so I can take advantage of their machine. Distributed programming Mm -hmm. is better. And where I got lucky was uh, the Mono people. Mono, I've uh, been working with the Mono people for a long time now. And for years, they had been working on getting Mono to work in WebAssembly. And WebAssembly, if you're not familiar, is a new little sandbox that you can execute code in in a, in a web client in, a, in your web browser. It's a very simple C kind of assembly world, but Mono was written in C, so they were able to port Mono over to it. I don't want to say easily. It took time. It took a lot of effort, and I didn't help at all with that. So congratulations to the Mono team. You've enabled a lot of powerful technology out there. To get we to run it, um, instead of using WebSockets, all I had to do was create a bridge between the JavaScript world and the WebAssembly world. And because I was already serializing data for transport across HTTP, that is, everything's a string, no worries there, Mm -hmm. Uh, it became a WebAssembly pretty much in one day. <laughs> I think I did most of that work. Oh, wow. Well, so I heard like it was like this week that WebAssembly became a standard, the, the fourth basically language <laughs> to be a standard on the web. Are we up to four? What are the other ones? Well, well I'm, I'm, or technology. It's HTML, <laughs> yeah. HTML JavaScript, CSS. Uh, and this is the fourth one, so... Wow. So it got that stature. Okay. Right. Yeah. But it, it makes, makes sense that um, you you move. Um, so you and I are from the Xamarin community. We're used to having um, the, the logic and UI running on the same device. And when you think, how, how can I reuse this code in the web world? It was always, you know, like you can use some of that logic, put it on the server, but you'll have to write like a, a single page application on, on the client or, or in, the, in the browser. And, uh, but you can't reuse anything there. And here you're, you're moving all of that into the browser, uh, like a, f- a full application inside the browser, uh, not using JavaScript. And it just makes a lot of sense in this case. Yeah. For me, the, uh, a sad part of it is I, I lose that instant collaborative app, but that makes sense. If you want to write a collaborative app, you kind of need to run a server. There's no real getting around that. But there are just so many pros to running a native app like this. Number one is you can run just a file server instead of a proper logic web server. That is, people just need to download the DLLs and the bootstrapping JavaScript code to get the whole thing working. Mm-hmm. And after that, it's, it's local. It's a local app. You could set up a proper manifest file and even have Chrome and Safari treat it as a local app, get an icon and all of that stuff. So this was my this was my backdoor to native development. If I wanted to write a cross-platform app without 
really having to write a, you know, without devoting myself to all the individual platforms, this was going to be my personal easiest route to accomplishing that. And I was also um, thinking a lot about um, in .NET Core, we have .NET Core tools that we can install now. Mm-hmm. And I love those very much because they're these command line tools. They're very easy to install. You say dot, I forget how you do it, dot .NET tool, global install, something like that. And you can get all these people's apps. And I wanted to make sure that we ran well under that model and that you could build user interfaces under that model. And having WebAssembly, if you just pop out, you know, <laughs> a hunk of data <laughs> and point a web server at it, it just magically works. It, I don't know. I just I just like that. It's nice. So all the major manufacturers are supporting WebAssembly, uh, the browser manufacturers, and it seems to make a lot of sense if you are writing like a C C plus plus application. But if it's a .NET ap- application, then the whole runtime, the the .NET framework basically, or the parts that you're using, they all have to be sent to the browser and and is that in your opinion ready for production are people actually using that already or is is WebAssembly just not there yet i i can't answer your question of are people using it uh because i honestly just don't pay attention at that kind of level Mm -hmm. but a hundred percent it's ready for production i convinced myself of this um years ago when it started running on iOS Safari. <laughs> iOS Safari is usually one of the last things to adopt a technology um, just because it's a constrained environment. They have such power constraints, all that stuff. You know, Chrome is running on a one kilowatt machine and using every single watt it can out of that. Whereas the phone is just so tiny and just lacks so much power that they don't add all those crazy features right away. I heard it's the new IE6. Ouch, ouch, that's mean. It yeah. hurts. <laughs> Safari is the new IE6. Yeah, that sounds like Chrome propaganda, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, boy, forgot what I was saying there. But um, it, it was um, once I saw Apple buy into it, I was pretty sure this is a technology that's going to stick around. If they were, if the conservative people were going to do it, fine, okay. This is probably going to be here for a while. It's worth learning and devoting time to. Uh, Can I go back now to, um, okay, so yes, you are shipping the entire .NET runtime (laughs) and anything your app needs with your app. And these days that run, you and I do this anyway, when we release iOS apps, whenever we release Mac apps, we do this. So you and I were used to it. It's the other .NET people that have to swallow the red pill and get in on this. But the truth is, go to any modern publication website and you're going to download 15 megabytes of ad copy so asking someone to download an eight megabyte executable one time it gets cached it's just a one-time download is nothing for me Uh, you go to deviant art and there will be a jpeg on there that's 10 megabytes (laughs) so who cares (laughs) that's right yeah um well i I was thinking that uh, like you know .NET Core 3 now you also have the option of bundling the whole .NET runtime with your executable so it's also desktop or uh, everything .NET Core runs on is becoming more like like what we were used to yeah and 
And you and I know that's the better model. We don't have to deal with version conflicts or anything. Once you get that app running, it's going to run forever mm-hmm. because it contains all its own code. You are immune from the operating system changing, any of that stuff changing. This is the correct way to distribute apps. Apps should be independent from each other. They shouldn't require any system libraries to be installed. I don't know if you ever do any Linux development or anything, but that is just such a mess because everything is globally installed. And you get one program working with this set of versions and you can't get another program working with these versions. They had to create Docker just to work around all these issues. (laughs) Bundling the app, yes, um, your app's going to become much larger than it would if the runtime was installed natively. But it's 2019. Get over it. (laughs) I I like to joke that um, my iOS icon file is bigger than my WebAssembly app. (laughs) So whatever. (laughs) What are your plans for for Wii for the future? Or what are people asking for you to do? Yeah. Um, The biggest one for it, and this this is where I went a little bit crazy. (laughs) I implemented Xamarin Forms on top of Wii. So now you could use the Xamarin Forms API and through multiple layers, uh, either run that on a web server or run that in WebAssembly. And that for me, I just wanted to demonstrate the power, not just, but I wanted to demonstrate the power of not only the API that I chose, that simple methods, events, objects API to show how extensible that is to different scenarios. I wanted forms <laughs> to be running on the web mm-hmm. also. And I think there was, I was not, I wanted everyone to understand how the synchronization engine worked and see how easy it was to ba- write DOM-based apps and see how easy it was to write collaborative-based apps. But instead, all other people wanted to see was um, Xamarin Forms running on the web and in WebAssembly. So that caught me a tiny bit off guard, if I'm thoroughly honest. I didn't realize how much enthusiasm people would have uh, for that scenario. So I did a pretty good job. I'm going to give myself a C plus on porting over Xamarin Forms. I had um, a lot of help, by the way, from Jose from Xamarin. Okay. Um, But the truth is, I just haven't gotten it up to 100%. And now there's a a new kid on the block, Uno, which basically took the same design as we, but had more money and more people and more time to fully implement Xamarin Forms. They took a slightly different route. And so honestly, I'm a little bit unsure of what direction to take we in terms of Xamarin Forms. I know there's some people that still want it. It's smaller than Uno and things like that. But for me, um, its primary objective as being a way to interface with the web DOM, that's good. Um, that part's solid. It's, it's not going to change. It doesn't need to change. And so it's really just how many fluffy features do I want to put on top of Wii? And because the core is already so solid, the engine is solid. So it's just, what do I put on top of it? So when you're writing a Xamarin Forms UI app, that means you are not writing using the the UI API. You're just writing regular Xamarin Forms XAML. So it's, it, the, the, yep, this compares correct. to Uno, where you write a regular UWP XAML, and that also gets rendered onto or or gets translated for into devices or like native controls for devices, or even into WebAssembly. 
Yes. Uh, as far as I understand, Uno's form support is basically translating forms to UWP. They're using the UWP version of forms because Uno implemented the UWP mm -hmm. API. Easy ways to think of this. Uno is the UWP API. Uh, we is the web DOM. I give you access okay. to the web DOM and forms on top of that. Blazor, the big pink elephant in the room we mm -hmm. haven't mentioned yet, that is a whole different user interface library and API that follows the React model of how to build user interfaces, which is nice and all, but it's it's not the way I want to write user interfaces. I want to say new button and add a click handler to the button. Yeah, it's, it's very compelling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so the good news is it's solid. It's going to work for you. There aren't many bugs. It's been stress test. The bad news is I'm the single <laughs> developer <laughs> behind it. And the truth is I work on a lot of different projects and I don't get paid to work on Wii. I get paid to work on apps. And so I have to very much regiment my time yeah. against it. And this year I'm a little bit disappointed with myself because I did not put as much time into it as I should have. Um, I think it really is still a very special library and it hurts me every minute that I'm not working on it. Um, but, you know, priorities, we all take on what we take on in life and have to deal with it. If people want to get started with the Wii, where, where would you lead them? Well, I did start, uh, I did getting started wiki files on the GitHub site. So if you go to GitHub slash Preclarum, which I won't spell for you here. Look Put it in the, the show, show notes, notes right. hopefully. Uh, thank you. <laughs> slash Preclarum slash Oui. O O U I. Uh, that's the GitHub site, and in the wiki there are getting startedes for different scenarios. Mm -hmm. There's a getting started for running your own web server. There's a getting started for running it under ASP.NET, and there's a getting started for doing it under WebAssembly. Because we can be moved, oh, and all of those using or not using Xamarin Forms. Right. <laughs> so there's so many ways to configure it and use it that it's a little tricky documenting all that. But I tried to do at least a few basic getting started where um, I show you how to write a very basic app and get, push you along, help you along the way. <laughs> and there are lots of samples there. Thank you. You could even try them out online in the browser, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it, you know, implementing a user interface library is a lot of work. And you, it's not something you can exactly write unit tests for. And so the best way to unit test mm. a UI library is write a bunch of apps. <laughs> and uh, in my case, it's actually simpler than that. Um, there are a lot of Xamarin, XAML example apps. And I was able to just take a lot of those and port them over. And by port, I mean copy the files. There's no code you need to change. Oh, cool. Well, well from the the developer's, developer's perspective here is I go to the website, I see the XAML editor on the left, and I see the result on the right. And I just edit on the left, and it automatically shows up on the right. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. Thank <laughs> That's you. a really cool example. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, all props to the Xamarin Forms team who made it super easy to dynamically load XAML. So that mm -hmm. that app, what you're talking about, that left and right preview, I think that thing is like 10 lines of code. It's really not sophisticated. Uh, it's just, that's what's so nice about this world. We're all just standing on the shoulders of giants and we're just building on top of each other. So I get all the power of Xamarin Forms and XAML if I just give them a decent rendering engine. That's what we is, a rendering engine for Xamarin Forms in this case. 
And then we can write powerful little apps like this. So cool, huh? What a good time. And then somebody will stand on top of your shoulders and use a Wii for their next hit app. Oh, I hope so. That That's the best part. <laughs> Whenever you see a successful app using one of your libraries, that's one of the most rewarding things in open source. Well, Frank, thank you so much for being my guest today. That was really, really special. Um, I'm a big fan. You have a a podcast that I will um, reference to in the show notes, which is called Merge Conflict together with James Montemagno. And it's a weekly, which is an amazing feat. You've been doing <laughs> this like for like over three years. Yeah. And I've listened to every episode. Wow. You're, you're a completionist. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, I, I always joke. Uh, I thought it would be a miracle if I made it to 100 episodes and somehow we're approaching 200. So feels good. I, I wish you all the luck to get your podcast up to 200. <laughs> Still a ways to go. Well, keep up the good work and, and thanks again. I really appreciate it. It was very enjoyable. And like I said, I've been looking forward to talking to you for quite a while. So thank you. Thanks, Frank. This has been another episode of Dev Talk, and we'll see each other again in two weeks. Bye bye.